Welcome to the Free Money Podcast. It's where we bring you the Brooklyn Bay Area consensus about institutional investing you desperately crave. Yes, you do. <laughs> Welcome. Welcome to I, Friday. I guess for us, it's Friday. For everybody else, it's Tuesday. Sorry, it's yep. Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, the Tuesday. I will, I mean, hopefully the fiscal crisis everywhere has been resolved by then, right? <laughs> I think we can hold out hope. Uh, no, it's 2021. That's not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's really dire straits. Like I, I, I just searched fiscal crisis in Google News and the okay. stuff that I, I mean, it's like every state local newspaper has a thing about the fiscal crisis. New York City is facing the worst fiscal crisis since the 1970s. It's bleak. Yeah. Oh, I mean, California, I think we're going to have like a 25 billion shortfall. And what a lot of people don't know about state governments unlike federal governments, is they have a, a balanced budget rule. Oh, yeah. Means they actually have to find a way to fill that shortfall um, before, you know, for the end of the, the, the budget year. And, uh, and so that's going to be some serious pain for a lot of states. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like one of the ways that they were looking at resolving it in New York, I mean, because we have a, you know, a separate issue with the Metropolitan Transportation Authority that runs the subways, the bridges and the tunnels, um, like is just raise, you know, taking off the subsidy on the subway and on the tunnels, making it like, which would, I think, make the subway like 475 a fare up from 275. Oh, um, you know, that wouldn't cause added pain at all. No, no. <laughs> And, you know, talk about added incentive to get inside a, a subway with people coughing in the middle of COVID. Oh, you know, I literally haven't been back in the subway since March. <laughs> God, brutal. I can't believe I'm saying that. But yeah, I mean, like, it reminds me, like, I, when I was at Oppenheimer, I had this colleague, uh, Meredith Whitney, who issued this, like, what at the time was like this really ballsy proclamation. Um, and she had just called Citigroup cutting its dividend. And so people were really listening to her. Um, and she was like, 15 states are going to go bankrupt in the next year. This was like, <laughs> <laughs> it's a bold statement. <laughs> I mean, I mean, especially because I'm not sure that we know how to have a state declare bankruptcy. No, I think we talked about this one time already where we're like, <laughs> I think you actually can go bankrupt. Like, I think you'd actually have to change the rules. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, like, there was a great, like, back and forth between uh, Cuomo, like, the, the governor of New York and Mitch McConnell, um, like, two or three weeks ago, where he was like, I dare you, fight, you know, change the law, let me go bankrupt. I dare you. I got your bankruptcy right here. <laughs> Seriously. I bet, and then they could dump the uh, public pension liabilities on the uh, PPGC. Oh, and, yeah. Oh, uh, that, man. Would, that would be a screw you to the federal government. <laughs> But like, honestly, it, what's kind of amazing to me about this is like every time I read like, you know, Peter Orzag, who was Obama's budget mm. director, um, you know, wrote something, you know, Meredith Whitney's case, we're all about pension liabilities, grinding states out of economic relevance. Totally. And here we're actually talking about it. It's kind of maybe a, 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 like an eventuality that may happen to some states and pensions had nothing to do with it. <laughs> well... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think what's what's amazing about this moment is this this COVID crisis has just like completely screwed over states. Yeah, we <laughs> uh, don't even know because obviously, like a lot of the unemployment that you know many of us are getting, states are paying for a big chunk of that. Yeah, and uh, and worse, we don't even quite know how bad the revenue situation is because I think most states allowed us all to like delay our filing. Yep. Um, and so like, they're all sort of sitting there looking at way bigger numbers going out than they expected. And they don't quite know what's going to come back in, in terms of, you know, tax revenue. And so uh, it's a pretty precarious situation for, for states right now. Be yeah. Like it's be some serious, like, you know, mega cuts, um, or, or even some wacky bond issuance that, you know, yep. um, gets them where they need to go. Yeah. Cue the, um, uh, what is that? The, the, uh, something or other theme song, Benny Hill theme song, right. Uh, in the mini bond markets. I mean, th th it's crazy. It's like, this is just the, the sort of thing that like Ben Bernanke's like famously written his dissertation about, right? Like the counter cyclical, you know, the need for a counter cyclical investor, in these economic yeah. downturns, because like when the states get strained, 
right as like, you know, the rest of us are all strained, they wind up exacerbating the existing downturn if they're not careful. It's like grief. Yeah. It's like the last thing you want to do when your economy is tanking is cut all spending. (laughs) Like you, you want to actually to get the economy humming again by, you know, freeing up some cash and getting people out and spending. If we're, you know, cutting jobs and cutting projects and, you know, doing all the sorts of stuff that you do when you have to balance your budget, it will, it will truly exacerbate this crisis. Not that anybody realizes there's a crisis because financial markets continue to hit all-time highs, Sloan, but... Yeah, I mean, no uh, problem. As, as long as the Dow is at record highs, I don't care. You know, like, who cares if a bunch of people starve? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> sorry, I just threw up in my mouth. <laughs> How do you really feel? Uh, well, no, it's, I mean, it's, it's this funny thing where, um, the, we just don't acknowledge this reality that's right in front of us. And like, mm. you know, the last time in the, you know, the big great depression, right. The one that we all refer to, not the great recession. Mm. Um, you know, we had like the works project progress administration that came out and basically just employed Americans to do all kinds of stuff, right. Basically right. pick up a shovel and do anything. Yeah. Um, and like those wound up, they, that wound up creating some, some threat, like kind of in the vein of our conversation with Tom last week, right. Where you can't really predict the, the nature that innovation is going to take in the future. Um, like I was, I was playing around with a works project administration to- tool last weekend. That was like a whole bunch of pictures of New York city in the forties. And oh, they just cool. like, yeah, they just like got scraped it together with open data and made like an actually very cool thing out of it. Oh, wow. Yeah. It, it is interesting. One of the things, so not only is like, um, there are not a lot of jobs. Uh, and if, if states end up cutting jobs in order to meet these, like, you know, really difficult financial circumstances. But I also have a suspicion because I am at a university that there are a lot of students taking this year off looking oh, for jobs. Yeah. You're, you may actually end up with this like big influx of, of people that are taking a gap year or, or, or basically saying, look, I don't want to go do Zoom phone calls for a year. Like, yeah. by the way, any student that comes to me that's like, what should I do this year? I'm like, take a year off. <laughs> yes. <You know>? Like, <laughs> by the way, this is not official Stanford policy. <laughs> but, but like... <laughs> It's sucks. like you don't have sports. You can't go to yeah. the ball. Like this sucks. And if you yep. can like go do something that like b- boosts your CV a little bit, um, go do it. And and so like those public works, like put Americans to work type projects. I could see a lot of young students wanting to go get involved with. But then I started thinking, oh wait, like we want to hire Americans right now that are, you know, really need jobs, you know? Yeah. So it's hard. I mean, like, we, I guess we just gotta, you know, create a capacity to take as many of them and get them to do stuff, you know, and pay them for it, like some kind of basic income thing. But I hadn't even thought about the, you know, the ranks of college students joining the labor force suddenly. Yeah. Um, yeah I, mean, I can think of a few cases in the past week where, where people have sent me notes saying I'm taking the year off. Because um, if you believe we're going to get a vaccine, you know, yeah. uh, what did, I think our, our you know, dear leader um, at his big speech yesterday promised to have a vaccine before Election Day. So if, if you actually believe some of that, then why the heck would you go to college this year when you could delay it for a year and have a, no, a normal life? And it, yeah. I took a year off in college and it was one of the greatest things I ever did. Um, yeah. I, well, I did too, and that's why I still work in finance. And arguably, it's not the greatest thing I ever did, but <laughs> definitely got a, definitely got a lot of it. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I worked as a stockbroker. <laughs> two two discs in my lower back, so I was kind of obligated to take a year off. But it was. Uh, I remember I did like an internship at Bloomberg, and mm. yeah, I was doing all kinds of stuff that year that really kind of helped me um, when I actually went to go get a job. So strange, such a strange existence right now. Everybody trying to navigate this like completely crazy situation. Yeah, like I mean, you know, I we're kind of just jerks who are navel gazing, right, <laughs> about this. Like, uh, you know, we're sitting here like, well, well, yes, this could be an issue for the labor market. Uh, I think- <laughs> <laughs> yes, welcome to caviar, sweetie. <laughs> yes, exactly. Any great poupon? 
Uh, I think maybe let's call someone who might be a little bit closer to the action. Mm. Let's do it. Yeah. Who, um, who are the people who run finances at states? Uh, they're treasurers. And shout out to treasurers of states. <laughs> all a treasurer of a state. Um, yeah, you've been accused of being very New York and California centric. So, um, you know, let's, let's call the treasurer of Oregon. Let's do it. Tobias Reed is a a good friend of mine. He's he's agreed to subject himself to our banter. Yes. Hi guys. Hey, you got Ashby and Sloan from the free podcast. We're calling you quasi live. How are you today? I'm I'm worried about Ephanon, um, but I'm but I'm a believer. Oh. <laughs> Look, Ephanon, that's for another time. We don't want to. Although it's probably useful for our conspiracy theory to have a state treasurer legitimize Ephanon. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I I just need to know the secret handshakes and the symbol, you know, all the symbols and the mythology and so on. But, you know, it it, it seems like something we should really be worried about. Yeah. 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 How are, before we jump into the questions and we have a few questions for you, Treasurer Reed, um, just check in on you and your family. Are you guys, is everything okay there in Oregon? Yes. Um, What I've been saying to everybody is that that there are two things that are simultaneously true. We feel very lucky that everyone is healthy and that the adults are employed. But at the same time, and I know you you know about this, we have a 10, almost 11-year-old daughter and Mm -hmm. 7-year-old son. And so it's really hard. Both of these things are true. We are not alone in it uh, by any stretch. Uh, But uh, yeah, it's an hour by hour kind of thing with, uh, you know, we're not... We're both we're both MBAs, my wife and I, but we're not educators, and so mm. that's uh, that's a challenge. <laughs> yeah, super hard. I mean, I have to tell you, just like a random story, I almost put my hand Please. through the wall the other day when the internet went out because <laughs> both my kids are on Zoom. We're doing remote school, you know, yeah. <laughs> and so like I hear my kids like like rustling upstairs, and I'm like, whoa, 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 this is like the hour when they're occupied. Why are this? Why is there so much rustling? Because the internet went out. Our 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 kids have an unerring ability to to discern the one or two times a week when both Heidi and I have some significant call or or Zoom meeting, and to pick that time to have the physical fight meltdown. And it's it's unbelievable how how they figure it out. By the way, this is also, and I don't I don't know quite as much about the uh, you know, Brooklyn seismic risk versus the uh, Bay Area seismic risk. But in Oregon, I've been telling everybody, this is just practice for the aftermath of the Cascadia subduction event that is coming. There's a uh, 40% chance of a nine or greater earthquake sometime in the next 50 years. And then we're going to look back with great nostalgia for that time we were quarantined with electricity and the internet and everything else. So this is just practice. Wow. 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 <laughs> yes. yeah. um, on that note, uh, we were just how difficult the financial position is of states right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, um, and so one of the things we wanted to jump in with you is, is all about, first, before we get into the pension fund or anything else, we're going to ask you a little bit about the budgets and how you're managing it. Sloan, why don't you jump in? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, so I I was reading some local press in Oregon and I saw that, you know, reports that Oregon was facing like a $1 billion budget deficit this year. Um, But I also saw, you know, some stuff about a coalition of five Western states, which includes Oregon requesting like a trillion and California um, as well, um, requesting Mm -hmm. like a trillion in federal aid through this Western states pact. Um, And so it kind of, you know, that order of magnitude difference kind of makes it hard to understand what's going on fiscally. Um, can you maybe yeah. set us straight a little bit? Sure. Well, so the first thing is every every treasurer in the country has a different set of responsibilities, and and in Oregon, I've got you know it's a it's a microscopic, almost invisible bully pulpit. But outside of that, I don't have a have a direct role over the state budget, so I can't you know, I can't speak to the the specifics of that trillion dollar ask, but I do. Have I feel like a, a pretty decent understanding of, of how the budget works and why the support is is critical for for state and local governments. And um, here's what I know: Oregon, in particular, is way too reliant on the on the personal income tax. In fact, I think we are more. I think I've seen this somewhere in a, in a legitimate academic uh, analysis. We're more 
dependent on that source than any other state on any other single source. And of course, that means that we go up and down with the rest of the economic cycle. And that's what creates this projected $4 billion shortfall. And over the next um, several, uh, that, that is, by the way, over a, um, about a $21 billion general fund um, budget over, over biennium, because we do this on a, on a two-year cycle. So if you add in the, that impact over the next five years, it's uh, probably about $10 billion. And this comes in the, the context of, a, of an environment where we were just finally uh, starting to make some significant improvements uh, or investments in, in the, the um, K-12 funding. That's the biggest support, part of our, our budget. Um, that's you know, probably three decades after we started to see a, uh, you know, a, a property tax rebellion. We can thank you guys in California for that uh, unwelcome export. Um, that have, yeah, um, it's, we're back in this place where, uh, where this massive decline is hitting us right at the, at the time and at the wrong time. And, and it's, I think people forget how much, uh, the federal government and, and state and local governments are partners. You know, we're delivering a lot of those things and we are the ones that have to make sure that, that the social safety net is, is intact, but we don't have the ability um, to, to deficit spend or, or print our own money. So that I think is really what what fits to the um, to the opportunity for for states to band together. And I'd sure like to see Congress, the Senate in particular, doing their job because you know, as you guys know better than I, when when interest rates are this low, we can you know, at the risk of being a little bit uh, crude, we can sort of say debt schmet. We got we got immediate problems to fix. This is a family um, to, to keep it. <laughs> What's that? Sorry. Net. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of the the, the context, and um, the legislature has has and the governor has some really difficult choices right now because we we're in a in a better position in one sense that we have a decent amount of reserves socked away from from the economic expansion, but you know politically increased revenues are not, not that viable right now. So they have to choose between how much of reserves to use right now and how much to make cuts. And since we don't know the depth nor the duration of what we're in the middle of, uh, to the extent legislators want to listen to me, I've been drawing on the experience of the school district where we live in the last recession. Understandably, they just they did everything they could to avoid cutting teachers and days. And when they got to the end, it was a cliff, not a glide path. And I've, I've been saying to, to legislators, you know, glide path beats cliff. So be thoughtful. That's really interesting. Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess whenever you hear like budget shortfalls, um, I mean, I guess what, if you're, if you've got the disease that Ashby and I have kind of what comes to mind is, is, you know, an opportunity for funding creativity, right? Yeah. Um, I have that disease too, I think. <laughs> um, th- that's right. And you got to think creatively, you got to think long-term. And I mean, lots of people said never w- waste a crisis, but we're in that spot. Yeah. Yeah. We were just talking right before about, um, like kind of the need for some sort of, you know, force to be an investor. And, you know, and I wonder like in terms of opportunities to raise funds, like I know that, you know, we're going to talk about ESG later, but you're an ESG issuer as well. Um, mm-hmm. and like, you know, I, that seems like a you know something that may give you some experience and maybe um, some opportunities to to raise some funds. Like how, how have those um, bonds been meeting been meeting uh, been met in the market? And like what have you been able to use the proceeds for? They are really attractive. Um, we've done three different issuances. Um, in our case, all of them to su- support affordable housing in in different forms. Uh, the last one, uh, I think in June, was uh, $95 million, 15-year uh, uh, taxable, what we call sustainability bonds. And they, uh, I think they were three or four times oversubscribed. So that obviously has an impact and, and gives us the ability to get good terms and make sure that those, uh, that those dollars can, can go further. For us, it's been working really diligently to make sure that, um, that we're confident about what we're representing to, uh, to lenders and, and, uh, and developing the reputation. Um, we're fortunate in Oregon to have a, a, a strong credit rating and we want to protect that and the chance to kind of expand that and, and take advantage of um, what I, I feel like people have associated with Oregon as a brand um, really gives us, gives us hope. But we're, we're trying to take that um, 
carefully and cautiously so that we don't uh, get, get ahead of ourselves. Um, this affordable housing um, has been a, a, a good start, and I'm, I'm hoping that um, in the years to come, we'll be able to put those to, to other good uh, good uses as well. That's that's interesting. I think um, shifting gears a little bit, um, Tobias, I, I want to talk to you about, for a second, the Oregon Public Employee Retirement Fund, which those of us in the know call OPERF. Yeah, Absolutely. And you, so some of the change you guys have actually made changes as a result of COVID nineteen. Um, I think I saw there was like a push to reduce some risk, add some fixed income, but also a talk around actually changing how you access um, opportunities. Some shifting internally. Can you just talk a little bit in your capacity as being on the board there um, about you know how you've kind of made that fund more resilient with, with some changes after COVID nineteen hit. I'd be glad to, but let's let's set some expectations here. Let's let's admit sure. that that you two have uh, surely forgotten more than I will ever know on the, the technical aspects of this. <laughs> what, what what I what I think I can add here is is in the role as as an elected person. I mean, I I, I try to be the skeptical consumer of the of the technical uh, experts that we're privileged to to work with at, at Treasury. Um, and represent the the public in in this in this space. So, the thing I think is um, it, to start with is is the approach we're really trying to take uh, in general, not specific to, to COVID, but but to acknowledge that we have, as I know you guys have talked about regularly on the, on the podcast, um, ex- expectations and obligations that go out a long, long way, which gives us the chance to think differently than a lot of other investors. So. We're never going to be, or at least we're trying never to be, the highest of the high in in um, in, in bull markets. And similarly, we don't want to be the lowest of the low in, in bear markets. So, 2018 and 2019 are good examples of this. And in 2018, uh, all in, we got 0.56 percent. And I say that in public, they kind of get a sort of a gasp, and they say, "This will sound better when I remind you that California lost three and a half percent in 2018." And they sort of look a little little more mollified. And I say, "But then think about 2019 when we got." 13.6%, almost twice our assumed rate of 7.2, but that put us in like the 90th percentile uh, of our peers. So we're going to try to get um, what we can, but but limit that risk over over time. Our former CIO had a had a nice analogy uh, in explaining this and and sort of making the point that there are different tools for different purposes. If if I was going to go um, to, to the to the uh, to the grocery, which which you know we try only to do every two or three weeks these days. The 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 electric car that sits in our driveway, the Ford Focus, which by the way I do not like very much at all, is perfectly appropriate. But if I'm going to go try to win the Indianapolis 500, I'm going to need a very different sort of car. So <laughs> one way that we've had uh, had we tried to take this on is is to say. There are certain parts of the portfolio where we can hire people at much lower rates in in Tigard, Oregon, than we might have to uh, in in Manhattan. Um, and there are other places where we need that expertise, uh, those relationships, and so on. And so we do have to to buy the investment equivalent of the of the race car. Um, so that attitude really flows into to a bunch of different parts of the portfolio. We have, as you said, changed changed our attitude about about fixed income. Uh, really tried to emphasize lower risk uh, approaches there. Uh, we've adjusted some of our our allocations and, and targets, um, taking on a, a risk parity allocation, for example. Uh, for the first time, we've we've added a, a, a currency overlay, not not in in seeking returns, but as a, as a risk management strategy. Um, one other one that, that I think totally flew under the radar. Um, we have a, a hybrid um, uh, pension, so particularly for for more recently hired people, there's a defined contribution portion right. uh, of the pension. And until recently, that portion was invested completely the same as the defined benefit uh, portion. So you had the hypothetical 28 year old wow. with the exact same exposure as the hypothetical 62 year old. And uh, I know I, I don't have to be very smart to say that's a that's a bad idea. Uh, yep. So there was a lot of um, behind the scenes 
maneuvering both uh, on the implementation and on the politics. Uh, but we got that changed. So those that defined contribution portion now slides into a suite of, uh, of target date funds, oh, which sorry. helps their, their individualized risk exposure, of course, but also insulates the fund as a whole from, from runs on the corpus, which, which could happen at the exact wrong time. So those are all elements. And, you know, we recognize that this is going to be an ongoing journey and uh, really like the team that we have that's that's in place to, to keep us going in the right direction. That, that also uh, supports the long-term Ethanon deep state conspiracy to deliver good risk-adjusted returns to pensioners. <laughs> I, I like this this part of the conspiracy. This is this is good. I can be on board with that. And, and that leaders in the government are actually trying to solve the defined contribution governance problem. Nobody realized that, like, we all joke about how bad the pension fund governance is for DB plans. But then we forget that so many of the defined contribution plans are leaving people completely unprepared for retirement because they're not managing the risk to the stage of life that they're in. So kudos to you um, in Oregon for actually taking that off. And it's not just public pensions too, because as as we've talked about before, Oregon and I'm I'm flying our flag and saying this: we're the first state in the country to operate an opt-out IRA for people in the private sector who don't have it. We call it Oregon Saves, and we passed a law that says if you're an employer in Oregon who doesn't offer a, a retirement plan, you're now obligated to facilitate Oregon Saves, and so it means you say to your employees, unless you tell me otherwise, five percent is going into your to your IRA. That's and awesome. we made that really simple too. So there's only three choices in this. You can you have a, a capital preservation option, obviously low interest, low returns. You have an S and P 500 index. That's the most risky we get, and then uh, a suite of target date funds. And if you don't tell us anything else, we're going to put your first thousand dollars in the capital preservation fund, and then everything else after that into the target date fund based on your age. You can adjust if you want to, but the, but we've got now three years in, we got seventy two thousand people who have funded IRAs. An average balance of about eight hundred bucks and a, and a total of around sixty-five million dollars, which goes up about a million dollars a week. Um, so we're we're on our way uh, to helping people get there too, and and that's proving to be really important in the um, in COVID times because it's a Roth, so they can use it as a as an emergency fund if they need to. Some people are, but the really best news about that is even when they're using it, they're staying in the in the in the program, so continuing to save. That's so cool. That's yeah. as a kid, that's rad. <laughs> it's like, how would you design it? Basically, exactly how you just described it. You know, <laughs> well, like preservation. That's your rainy day fund. Then the rest of it goes into appropriate risk return investments. So, there are yeah, I, have no, I have no edits. Audiences where I can actually uh, quote a, a Nobel uh, Prize winner in a, in a sort of self-congratulatory way. But back in the days when there was a, a local financial press uh, and we were rolling this, this program out, um, the, the Oregonian reporter called me and asked me about it. And I said, hey, this is, you know, this is Richard Thaler's idea that won the Nobel Prize. Yeah. So he called Richard Thaler. This was at the time when we were taking our, our, we were doing our design, and Washington State went a slightly different direction, where they just created a marketplace. Well, the marketplace we now know didn't really work because nobody did anything with it. But they went. This reporter who was doing his job went interviewed Thaler, and Thaler. I should have cut this out of the out of the paper and framed it. But the quote, the, the money quote from Thaler was, "Oregon's approach is clearly superior." So I'm, I'm, I'm very, very proud of that. I have to, that I have to find nice. an old copy at the library or something. You finally got one over, uh, one over those suckers in Washington State. Yeah. Uh, hey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, what's like, I mean, uh, you know, obviously shots fired at Washington, at California and, and at the Ford Focus. But I can't wait till the lease runs out. You guys have to tell me what, uh, what the next electric vehicle needs to be. Mm. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, that's that, that's uh, that's beyond my competence. Uh, yeah. Why do you got a car? You told me we you talked yeah. about this. Is the yeah. uh, uh, the lease options right? And the and the, the right. loan. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. It was. I mean, my I I, I am personally a subscriber to the buy a fifteen year old Toyota. Um, you know, family of uh, <laughs> of car, car ownership. Yeah, we're back to sort of net neutral because our our electric vehicle is good, and then we have a, a gas hog car that that has because we have to have a third row for carting around the you know in the, in the before times when the carpools were possible. Um, yeah. So on on base, where the fifteen year old uh, Volvo is is probably in line with your Toyota. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It's it's good to good to make sure that we compare. Uh, <laughs> like, uh, you know, we're both indexed properly uh, in the yeah, gas guzzling third row seat uh, department. Uh, <laughs> but like, I, I mean, on the on the inve- I have an investing question for you. Yeah. Um, you know, which is like, I was actually I was googling around and I was really surprised. Like, I was reading a um, a piece somewhere and somebody was like. You know, yeah, the Yale model for private equity investing, which is basically invest a ton in private equity, works for all sorts of places. It can work for states too. Look at Oregon. Um, Oregon is a notable success story um, in private equity investing. And, like, you know, I guess famously uh, was one of the earlier investors in Colbert, Kravis, and Roberts, which is, you know, now Mm -hmm. a a behemoth. Um, Mm -hmm. But, but like, you know, I poked around your website. Uh, a bit. And from what I saw, it looked like the fund is kind of pairing back private equity exposure. Um, well, yeah, there, there's a couple uh, uh, wrinkles to that story, I think. Uh, we are, I think, proud of the fact that, that we were the first state uh, to, to be into to private equity. And that, that continues to, uh, to pass dividends in terms of the relationships we've had. Um, but we're, we're being, I think, smart about it. And, and we are pairing back to the overall expansion. Um, our target right now is 17.5%. We're a bit over that uh, right now, but looking to, to draw that down over time. Um, and I think that's really just a reflection of trying to take, take our foot off, off the gas a bit. But we've also been trying to make some other changes to the, to the PE portfolio, which I think might even be, be potentially more significant. And that's in terms of how, uh, how we want to, the relationships we want to have. So, so we've been trying to go uh, fewer and deeper. Um, and, and we've also got very proud of, our, um, uh, of, of uh, one of our investment officers who's developed, I think, a pretty innovative way of, of saving money here in terms of, of co-investments. And we can talk about this because it was um, a big part of a, of a public meeting uh, several months ago. Um, we're not so so naive as to think we are. We have um, special ability to pick the winners from the losers and co-investment opportunities. So what we've done is to say we're going to we're going to take a, a proportional exposure um, to all the co-investment opportunities and and use that as a way to drive down fees and to better adjust our our pacing challenges. We're a relatively big um, I- investor in this sense, and putting putting those dollars to work in the right um, at the right pace can can be challenging depending on what our our limited number of, of relationships how they line up in terms of, of timing so that's been uh, that's been exciting and then we've been we're in the early stages of, of figuring out how uh, an emerging manager program would, would work for us I'm, I'm hopeful that that's not going to be too far in the in the future um, how how we get that uh, get that right in terms of the benefits of, of being exposed to uh, to investors that are earlier on. I mean, this, that, that emerging manager term, I know it's, it's kind of loaded, um, but I like it for uh, removing one of the barriers we've seen in terms of uh, high, uh, high, high check size. So uh, yeah. I, I actually, I would love to turn this question around for a minute and, and ask you guys if we're able to go down this path, what, what kind of questions do you think we should be asking as we, as we think about what that looks like and, and how to be effective in it? I'll start. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the term "emerging manager" is loaded with awesomeness. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's 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 an it's a license to innovate. And one of yeah. the things you guys have always been good at. You know, you were one of the first to do Evergreen. Um, you did an Evergreen private equity fund at one point. You know, an emerging manager program can be incredibly powerful because it gives you an opportunity to go and partner with really early stage managers. And if right. you get the if you get the governance right and you get the you know the funnel right, you should outperform, right? I mean, th- there's cases in particular in the great state of Illinois where these programs don't outperform um, because they aren't you know great 
in terms of the governance and the oversight. I think you guys could do it and actually generate higher risk-adjusted returns because the evidence is clear in small uh, private equity funds outperform big private equity funds. It's just hard to justify for pension funds the hiring and the resourcing to run small mandates. Um, right. But every single pension fund on earth is only investing in the behemoths. Well, where do the you know upstarts come on, come along to challenge the status quo? And yeah. so, you know, my desire is for all the public pension plans to build emerging manager programs, if only to challenge the status quo and keep the fees and costs down. Yep. Yeah. This is what I, I mean, I think it gives us a chance to, ha- to have those cost benefits. And what I've been asking all the time is how, how do we avoid missing out on that smart team that, that figured out something new, but right. we, can't, we can't talk to them because they can't handle a $150 million check. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, you know, you may wind up like, I don't know, for some people, emerging manager winds up touching on like diversity stuff. Um, That's what and, I meant by loaded as a term. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. yeah. You know, and it's like, I, I think what's really interesting about that is like, I think the overall cause of diversity has been weakened by people using diversity as sort of an ex post justification for those sorts of programs, i.e., um, yeah, we didn't deliver return, but look at all the diverse managers we backed. Um, Great point. You know, so I, I would um, like kind of, I mean, it, it, it is fine to view diversity as a good and of itself, I, I, in my view. Um, yep. But, you know, I, I think I would be explicit about that from the get. Um, I think and, that's and, right. So it, it's, a, it's, a, it's an ancillary benefit. We're doing this because we want returns and, and uh, we'll also get exposure to uh, a much more uh, diverse cognitively and demographically and everything else uh, set, of, uh, set of managers. Before the next question, I will say, I think the fact that we have a lot of bias in financial markets in which, you know, people of color, um, women don't get the interest from the LPs that maybe is fair. And I did a research project on this. Yep. um, Yep. That you can actually negotiate better terms with diverse managers. And so in theory, you're capturing a mispricing and generating higher returns. And so those... LPs that move aggressively into diverse managers may actually see outperformance if it is done well. And I actually can think of one city pension plan not far from me that is literally conceptualizing a part of their venture program that is about making money, but the thesis is women and minorities as an access point that is not sufficiently um, mature. And so that's where they're kind of allocating their... Their capital, but let me. The, the question I want to ask you, Tobias, is we're kind of taking more of your time than we promised. Um, no, I, this is lots of fun for me. So we'll okay. go as long as uh, as you want. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So one of the things that for me, like the great missed connection, you know, in the in the great uh, Wikipedia, if you ever read those misconnections. Anyways, uh, the great <laughs> missed connection in Oregon was the moment when I thought the Oregon Investment Council was going to be spun out into a management corporation akin to the Canadian Crown Corporations, which would have allowed you to resource the platform as if it was truly an asset management platform. And and for me, somebody who's constantly fighting for more resources and public pension plans, it was this great moment all the way up until the legislature voted it down. And so my question for you, given you're an MBA and you kind of know how to properly resource organizations, are you still sending personalized hate mail to these legislators or <laughs> anonymous people delivery? Well, uh, it's a good question. I, uh, first, I, I guess I would, in, I would somewhat have to send them to myself cause I was there. I was, I was a legislator at that point. Yeah. And so I got to correct one piece of it. Um, they never voted it down. Oh, they just never voted, which was the problem. Um, oh, so okay, uh, and I, I can, I can recall, you know, I served in the legislature for 10 years and I was never more mad than when I sat there. It was in the last days of the session. I got the bill to the floor of the house and I had the votes. And what I needed was a rule suspension to move it up for a vote um, in order to get there. And the uh, the House Republicans would not grant the rule suspension because they were mad about something else and the Senate Republicans and it was a whole thing. So we never got there. Um, okay. But 
but it the important like part eating it. It seemed like you got close. We did. We did. And I think there's there's a real silver lining in that because it that effort um revealed the the potential of that spin out um which is which is as you just said um about having the resources and the independence and the autonomy but the the Oregon legislature is just not not ready to go all the way there and of course we're all familiar with that insanity definition about doing the same thing again and again so that ultimately that was like the i think the third try when we got that close and so when i became treasurer i said i am i do not want to keep banging my head against that wall and i sort of took advantage of that contrast um and and went to the legislative leadership and said look there's a real need here and there's some real benefits but if that that piece that that having the public oversight in the form of the legislature is what you need let's let's try to get the win and and have a a more productive relationship and so we've got just about all of it in terms of of the uh, the resources, the positions, um, that's there. We have to go back to the legislature and and report in that way. And you know, even if you if you think that's not as healthy or not as ideal as the as the Canadian model, um, we've been we've been given the the positions that we've asked for. We've been able to maintain our our constitutional independence on on IT and the back office functions and all that sort of stuff. So. Um, I'm not sending them anonymous uh, pizza, but there's but there's also not hate mail going back and forth. So you know maybe we, we maybe we get to share a, a pizza when we when we get back to that that possibility in the uh, in the after times. Sounds very practical. Oh man, revising <laughs> and doing the right thing. It's the political answer, um, but it's true because uh, because now we can do a lot of stuff that we we weren't able to do before. There's one of our uh, investment officers who said, you know, we were, we were emaciated aspiring to skinny and, and now we're kind of skinny on the, on the, uh, staffing levels, but that's better than emaciated. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's something, right. Uh, right. Right. Um, you know, I, I want to also ask, I mean, like, it's funny. I was, I was sitting, uh, with my girlfriend last night we were watching your reelection, uh, commercials. Uh Oh, uh, <laughs> you, you've got to get a better uh, uh, plan for for your next uh, for your next evening together. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's definitely an angry at the uh, movie choices constituency in the uh, free money <laughs> listenership, but uh, <laughs> the um, uh, like it's funny, you know. O- o- we we watched the most recent one, which I want to ask you about, but you know, it also yeah. left it on autoplay, and we've seen the change in you know, the way that you're, you're running, right? Like the first time you kind of like ran as a treasurer and there was like the, you know, there were all the kids smiling and there was the school district and stuff. Whereas this time, like your commercial is just sort of like, hi, I'm Tobias. I'm the treasurer. Have you guys heard about compound interest? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's awesome. Which is magic. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, um, Which is highly rad. Um, But is it, so is that like, a relative call, like, you know, you're not as great as compound interest or sort of an absolute call where, where you're sort of thinking, I am just not that great. I'll just change this up. Well, uh, I guess it's some, some of both. Like, you know, if, if there's, uh, it's an acknowledgement that, that this is not about me, um, you know, in a, in a serious sort of way. Um, you know, some other people have asked me like, did, did you, you know, you're just assuming that everyone knows you're great and, and you know, maybe that's it. I don't, I don't need to remind people, but, um, but, but joking aside, it's, uh, this is about a, you know, an issue and an opportunity and, and I'm you know privileged to hold, hold the office and I hope I can be reelected and, and keep doing it, but I'm, I'm not going to be treasurer forever. And if I can use the time I, I am able to be treasurer to, to drive that sort of interest uh, to, to, to use the word, that's better. Um, we made that video before COVID. So we also have to acknowledge um, that things look really different now. But at the same time, uh, that issue and the notion of thinking about the long run is always relevant. So whenever I get the chance to, to talk about financial security, whether it's you know Oregon Saves or as that video talks about, um, the notion of, of saving for aspirations around education, I'm, I'm going to do it. And, and that gives me a, a better chance of achieving my own sort of measure of success. We're, we're about to, um, you know, start thinking about what our, uh, our, our commercial looks like and our uh, communications look like for the, 
last uh, nine and a half weeks of, of this campaign. And I don't know what it's, what it's going to be exactly yet, but, uh, but I'm, I'm pretty confident we're going to try to talk about the, the reality that people are experiencing right now uh, around financial anxiety and, and the ability to think about how interest can, can compound um, is, a, is a powerful thing. Sure. Yeah, is. really. Uh, and it's an important message to get out there. I mean, just <laughs> very, very cool. I remember when you sent, when you, he, Treasurer Reed sent me some of those, and I was thinking to myself, the amount of political advertisements that go out. Imagine if they were all public service style education announcements. Oh, like, that would be so cool. You, know, you, you actually it. had to say something of interest to people rather than just, you know, imagine that was a requirement. You have to pick a topic, educate people, and then put your name at the end. That's totally it. And and we, I mean, the, when we talked about this, it was like, hey, we're going to spend money on this. Let's give somebody something of value. They don't particularly yeah. care who is the person that's going to be treasurer. I mean, frankly, you know, I when I'm when I'm doing campaign calls right now, I, I typically get the answer like, we have a treasurer? You're on the ballot? They're like, Yes, yes, but here's why it's important, and and go to compound interest and help people get farther ahead. And and it's a it's also a really bipartisan, nonpartisan issue because I can say to my most conservative Republican friends, listen, even if you know your only yeah. interest is in small government, you should like this because more people saving their own money means they're going to need less help from taxpayers later on. Absolutely, and they can they can get down with that. No, that's a bipartisan message, uh, creating yep. wealth and compounding. So, Treasurer Reed, thank you so much for taking My time. Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. Sharing the insights of what it is to be, you know, managing a state's finances in the middle of a crisis. And um, we just really appreciate it. So, thanks and, and have a great weekend. And, I have you know, a lot hope- of fun with listening to the podcast. So, um, thank you for uh, for doing it. It's uh, it's been fun to uh, to promote what you're doing to uh, to a variety of other people. I, I talked to a a city economist uh, yesterday who was not aware of the Free Money Podcast. That's uh, sure. now. So, hopefully, we'll uh, we'll be adding to the to the listenership too. <laughs> yeah, and hopefully, the uh, the Ephanon faithful will speed you to a swift and early reelection. Uh, <laughs> Is, is there anything I should uh, should start saying in, in in Zoom rooms that would uh, you know send the message to the to the right people in the right way? I think if you just try, if, you know, I, you know, the code is to start a lot of to use a lot of words that begin with the le- with the letter F. You know, just use it as often as you Ooh, can. That's dangerous, but I, I will do my best. Thank you. Like Ford Focus. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like Ford that's Focus. It. Yeah, perfect, perfect. I'll All talk right. a lot about the Ford Focus. Thank you, guys. All Thank right. you. Bye. Bye. I'm, <laughs> I love that was it. a great interview. <laughs> Ford Focus, a car that Treasurer Reed does not like at all. He was like, you know, at all. He like made the emphasis. He's like, yeah, I absolutely hate it, but I support F&On. You know, it's actually, fun fact, my first car was a Ford Focus. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I thought Ford Focuses were like fun, zippy little cars. You know, they, they even have these like, um, like sport versions that the the guys on Top Gear think are are amazing. So yeah, yeah. that was I had the little I had the little hatchback. He might have the you know the electric without a little, yeah. with a little bit like zip. Like his wasn't very zippy. But but I'm having so much fun imagining what like Joe Biden's public service announcement commercial might be. Like <laughs> you know I'm Joe Biden. Have you guys heard of the Amtrak? This thing is great. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> you know like. Uh, oh. Or like Donald Trump's, like, what's a federal agency he loves? Anyway. Anyway. Oh, man. It's time for Dear Ashby. This is... Oh, we're doing it twice. Thank uh, you. I need it twice. Yeah, double Dear Ashby. Um, this is the segment where we take questions from listeners. And uh, pretty please, if you're out there listening, um, send in a question. Uh, write to freemoneypod at gmail.com. That's freemoneypod at gmail.com. Um, and let us know what's on your mind. Um, and you know, while you're at it, why not also leave us a review on the iTunes store? Um, that's yeah. all for the greater good. If you liked, right? Yeah. If you liked what Treasurer Reed had to say, give us the credit. You know what I mean? <laughs> we got him on the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep. The trademark free money alignment, right? <laughs> exactly. Alignment of interest here. If you like what our guests say, get us a, yep. get us a 
Fine. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, all good things, all our doing, all bad things, not our fault. <laughs> very, it's very true. Very true. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, here, you know, here's a good question uh, we got right in from a listener. Um, I the listener writes, I've interviewed some pe- public pensions over the years. And my impression has been that at least for like mid-career kind of non-CIO investment positions, um, that there's a huge preference for promoting from within. Mm-hmm. Um, just wondering if this is accurate and if it's another manifestation of like the whole organization-wide risk aversion thing that we talk about all the time. Um, sort of also wondering like, what are the characteristics of plans that are more likely to hire from the outside? Yeah, oh, that's, a, that's a really awesome question in part because I feel like we should be demystifying the process to get a job at these plans. These are great yep. jobs oftentimes. And you know, you learn a lot and, uh, and, and you get to meet some incredible people in the process. So I have a suspicion that our question writer lives in America. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. We don't have only an American audience, but my guess is this person lives in America because in America, getting a job at a pension fund is often like getting a job at the government. It's mm-hmm. weird. You know, you get to fill out weird forms. Are you in the union? You know, like it's strange questions. Whereas if this listener was maybe in Canada or in Australia, it would feel a lot more like a traditional finance job where, um, the, the competencies brought to the table would be sufficient to get the job. In the U.S., uh, it can be more difficult than that. And, um, and so like that's a big part of like when I talk to Treasurer Reed about like properly resourcing pension funds and like, you know, that's about getting the hiring process right and like giving clarity to people who apply to jobs what the process is, you know, transparently inform people. What are you looking for? What are the standards? Too often I hear people say, I don't even know how to like get a job at a county pension plan. You know, like how do I go about doing that? Like, and if they ask me, I'm like, I think pensions and investments magazine has a list of jobs. Like a job board. (laughs) Yeah. Like I I don't even know how to tell you to look. I mean, and we're working, we're working on getting a a recruiter on as a guest in a a future episode to help, to help us demystify it. So that yeah, we can demystify it for you. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and, I, and I have to also admit, like, I get emails all the time from people in the industry that are like, oh, shoot, Calpers has a CIO job. Like, how the hell do I even apply for that? You know? Mm, like, yep. I had a bunch of, of CVs this past week because Ben's leaving. And, and everybody's like, I don't even know how to apply. You know, mm. um, and so I think somehow this has to be a little bit simpler than what it appears to the outside world. Like we need to work on that. Yeah, there. I mean, like one thing that's kind of crazy about this stuff is how much hiring tends to be predicated on like pedigree. I you know. know, like which is just so. I mean, it's like inherently eugenics. It's literally eugenics. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, but literally. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, anyway. <laughs> um, more on that later. Stay tuned. Yeah, yeah. Stay tuned for our next episode on eugenics. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or getting a job. You know, we'll see. It's a grab yeah, bag. Yeah. Uh, um, there's some contention over, there's another question, uh, over whether having operations in the West Bank, mm. um, the contested region, you know, claimed by both Israel and Palestine is an ESG issue. Mm. Um, and, you know, I'm curious what your take is on this. Yeah, it's a uh, boy. It's a uh, it's the type of question you could get yourself in trouble on. Yeah, that's really uh, an uncontroversial one, right? Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, I had I had one of those last week for <laughs> I got a little bit worried about, but I'm not going to mention it again. Um, anyway, I think it should not be an ESG issue because I think uh, local prosperity. In, in these regions often will drive more international interest and a deepening of international relationships. And so where we have like international actors investing in West Bank or territories or wherever, I think there's probably more eyeballs on it, which forces people to be more either respectful or respect the rule of law or whatever. I think the worst thing you can do is completely ignore it. Um, I'm, it's not quite the same as like the argument people make around like 
oh, I'm invested in Exxon so I can vote my shares. I'm not mm. trying to make that argument. It's a little bit different. It's like, first of all, we want to lift these people up out of poverty and like mm. they're living in poverty and they, they can't travel. We all seen the, you know, seen what's going on. Um, but at the same time, like getting international exposure and, and giving people, actually giving investors a stake, like a literal economic stake in the wealth of this region, yeah. um, in my mind, can't help but improve the overall situation. I don't want to legitimize any like, you know, you know political activity that is, um, you know, not necessarily legitimate, but I, I yep. do trying to raise these people up and give them a better life and, and paying attention to this zone in a way that isn't totally politicized will sort of open the door for more opportunity. That's my incredibly diplomatic response to a tough <laughs> It's a really tough, I mean, like, it's kind of an interesting meta issue, right? Like, remember yeah. when we did, we did that thing on um, the, uh, I think it was a while ago, there was a, this ETF that got issued that it was that was like betting against the LGBT agenda. That was right. Uh, <laughs> you should remember that. The God TF. Yeah, yeah, yes, the yes, the Christian Values ETF, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it literally was. Yeah, and, and it's, it's like the prospectus. We're like we avoid the gay industries. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All we do is you know just trucks and what <laughs> trucks and guns yeah yeah it's like well sweetie if you don't think truck stops are gay i have something to tell you but <laughs> um the uh the dear ashby music <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah yeah oh man i don't have the horn handy <laughs> um but like no like the um yeah it's it's a because like i obviously don't think that's an esg issue but i guess in some ways esg is in the eye of the beholder yeah you know social right yeah social and so people are thinking you know there's there's a whole society in west bank that's getting you know marginalized and so should we be investing in that marginalization and you know this is one of the hardest things to figure out um yep so yeah and 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 to your point that like just being there is good i mean like Foreign corporations, when they show up, demonstrably improve conditions a lot of the time. Like all American yeah. corporations have to do, you know, Foreign Corrupt Practices Act stuff. You know, they're still subject to American law overseas. Yeah, um, that's right. Anyway, uh, last question of the day. Um, this is a, I'm very excited about this one, as you know. Um, the Federal Reserve has, <laughs> has decided to allow inflation to go higher than the Fed's 2% target during a boom period, which effectively means rates are going to be lower for longer. Um, that's for, yeah, just forever, you know, lower forever. Um, would that solve the student loan and debt crisis? (laughs) Let's take the first part, which I, (laughs) to me, it's hilarious. It's like the whole point is inflation targeting. Like, yep. Yep. (laughs) That was uh, the express point, but there's no inflation. Yeah. Oh, I, okay. So that's great. So let's keep rates low. I mean, to me, this is like, how can we, juice the stock market even more. Let's tell the stock market that even if inflation goes up, it doesn't have to worry. We're going to keep rates low, right? Because if like inflation ticked up, markets would get hammered because everybody would assume, oh, the Fed's going to lower rates. But so now the Fed has even preempted that by saying, hey, if you see inflation go up, don't worry. We're going to keep the taps on. You're going to have your party until the election and then we'll figure it out. Yeah. Um, so, So that's the first part, which I think is like, almost blatantly political, even though people will tell me it's not political and that this is all just about economics. But to me that... Yeah, the Federal Reserve is 100% independent. How yeah, dare totally. you suggest we could be oh, subject yeah, to totally. political interference? <laughs> yeah, this was a Jackson Hole policy. Developers, like, come on. Right. <laughs> but then the, the neat thing is, uh, you know, a lot of loans are tied to uh, interest rates. And like there was always this balance where... You know, as inflation crept up, so did your borrowing costs, right? So there was always this notion that like, you you know, heads you win, tails you lose um, when it came to your debts. But like the Fed, you nailed it in your question or whoever it is. Um, It's like, actually, if they're going to leave rates low in the face of inflation, you actually could get cheaper loans because the dollars you're sending in are worth less. Um, but your borrowing costs are staying low. And and so 
this person has astutely pointed out that, yeah, it's not going to resolve the crisis because I don't expect we're headed to 50% inflation. Uh, yeah. But, and that would know, create other crises. 14 extra dollars at the end of the year? Yeah, you might. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, hey, that's something, right? You know, 14 okay. bucks, 14 bucks a pay period. Hell yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you can oh, like get an extra movie on, you know, Comcast or whatever. Yeah, exactly. You can give the monopolists it immediately. Yeah, exactly. uh, <laughs> Well, I guess that about does it for this week. And you know what? I Ooh. guess because of the inflation at the end of this, I have a special treat for all of you out there in listener land. Um, Ashby knows what's coming. Yeah, hit it. Um, it's the, uh, it is the Bank of Jamaica's song about stable, predictable uh, inflation, which just dropped today. Enjoy. Have it. a great time. We love you. Bye. 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 That's the way to go, car when it high, people are gonna cry, when it's too low, the economy can grow, economy margins when new inflation beats, we have a brand new song for every street, low lending rate, stability in place, cause GOJ and BOJ run the race, the foundation well ready, for private sector get busy, I said the foundation well ready, for private sector get busy, we don't want it too high, we don't want it too low, no, no. When inflation stable and predictable, that's the way to go. Car when it high, people are gonna cry. When it's too low, the economy can grow. This is a message from Bank of Jamaica. We don't want it too high.